Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Just a quick note uh, for the baptism Sunday for the, the festivities. Um, we would ask that the children, if, if you want to get in the pond and swim, I don't know how warm it's going to be, but the, the host would ask that you wear a life jacket. So if you uh, didn't bring one with you and you have one at home, that would be a good idea, um, just a kind of an insurance you know, thing to make sure the safety of everyone that gets in there. Um, those getting baptized today, you're not going to have a life jacket because I have to get you under. So uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hold you down until it takes. But uh, if you're a child and you want to get in the water, we, we'd ask that you would bring a life jacket with you, and I know they would appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. And also, as Dave mentioned, today is Baptism Sunday, but I don't think he mentioned, did he mention that there's also a wedding today? No. Oh, well, I can cover that. What? Scott says. We are going to marry off Scott and Michelle. Yes. They're going to become Mr. and Mrs. D- is it Ziegler? Ziegler, right? Or Ziegler? See, Ziegler. Ziegler. Yes. Mr. and Mrs. Ziegler. Well, it's spelled I. You know, it could go either way. So we want to give you guys a free gift this morning right off the bat. We're going to start off with Scott and Michelle. She's not here. She's at home getting ready. What? This is a book called <laughs> Marriage on the Rock, not The Rocks, The Rock, by uh, Jimmy Evans. He's the founder of Marriage Today. He's behind, if you've heard of the Exo Marriage Conference, we hosted that one, co-hosted that with Community Church of God one year. Awesome, awesome man. We've learned so much from him, Joey and I have personally. Yes. So, so what better I think way you guys are really going to enjoy that. On the rock yeah. than to getting baptized together. So they're also getting baptized today. So literally, they are starting their marriage on the rock of Jesus Christ. And, and quickly, um, I, for those of you that are new, I see some new faces yeah. today. Uh, this is Tony, my lovely wife, and I'm Joey. We're the pastors of Vertical Life Church, and we want to say thank you for coming. We're, we're so excited that you chose to spend some time with us today, and I, and I know that this is going to be a blessing to you. It's been a blessing us putting this together. Right. So who's jealous that Scott and Michelle just got a book? Maybe slightly jealous? Oh, no sinners up in here. Okay. Well, I have some more stuff to hand out, but you have to participate. So if you really want a book, you got to participate. Okay, so week two week this is week three oh welcome to week three okay so week one pastor joey talked about inviting jesus into your marriage into your relationship not just assuming that he's there because you said vows before the lord on your wedding day but taking the time to pray together start reading the bible together if you're not to serve together is there any honest couples in the room or maybe just an individual it's fine that made that commitment in some way even in a small way, to invite Jesus into your relationship. Be honest, be honest. Ooh, so there's too many. Too Scott, many. you already got a book, so you don't count. Yeah, keep your hand. No, I'm just kidding. All right, all right, wait. Raise your hands again. I have more questions, so it's okay. First one, raise your hand. All right, I'm going to, it's not because they're my parents, but they were the first ones that I saw. I'm going to gift this book, yeah. Marriage on the Rock. My mom loves books. No, but this is valuable. So you can read it and then pass it on to another couple after you're done. It's awesome, awesome material. Okay, week two. Does anyone remember what we talked about? Start thinking about that. We started um, talking about (laughs) kissing. Yes, it was all about kissing. That's what Aaron remembers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We talked about intimacy and deadly intimacy killers that can rise up in our relationship and our communication and how to thwart those off in our marriage. So, any honest couples or individuals in the room today, did anyone commit, make a commitment, even personally, to start implementing some of the things that we learned last week? Like, maybe you're not going to... Um, Aaron was the first one. I saw her Read hand. your husband's or wife's mind anymore, or um, what were the other ones? You're not going to command, be parental, right? You're going to make efforts. So, Aaron and Mike, we're going to gift you this book. I didn't say anything about it. It's called The Naked Marriage by Dave and Ashley Willis. Um, they also work with Marriage Today. They're awesome. They have a podcast called The Naked Marriage. If you're interested in listening Very to them, good. they're amazing. I have some through the book and even uh, acquired some material that I might talk about today. So Joey and I both have these books that we can't wait to read them together, too. So. Yeah. 
so fun. Awesome. And so we're, we're excited for today. I, it's going to be good. We're going to be in the Song of Solomon chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Uh, the verses will also be on the screen. But just to set up our talk today is that God's desire for every marriage is there for there to be true intimacy. We, re- we kind of read that, that there's to be that transparency, to be naked without shame. Nothing between you together. That you'd be one in body, one in spirit, one in mind as you build one life together. So today we're going to be discussing uh, another important topic related to our intimacy. We're going to see revealed through this love story that we've kind of been unpacking the last couple weeks between this man and wife in the Song of Solomon. And, and again, we're going to begin in chapter 1. But before we do, we, we want to say that we understand that the concepts that we're talking about are very simple. They're very simple to understand. But they're not so simple to implement. So, so I, I don't want you to like take it for granted, some of the things that we're talking about, because it might be like, yeah, that, that's common sense, or yeah, I, I could see how that would work. It, it's one thing to understand the concept. It's another thing to begin walking it out. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing in this series is we're retraining our minds to really view our spouse or our partner the way God created them to be through this lens uh, of, of marriage that he's painted for us in our relationship, but not through the lens of negativity that's so easy to accumulate over the years. Tony and I, in, in a marriage book we're reading right now, uh, a marriage devotional, uh, the, the writer said it's difficult to call your spouse into their potential rather than just viewing them the way they are in the present moment. It, it's really difficult to see them according to who they're becoming not according to who they are. But, beloved, that's how God sees us. He doesn't just see us, uh, like, in our mess, right? He sees us, at the end of the time, how he created us to be. And so when he comes in and he speaks, he, he's not, oh, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, how dare you, You're, you'll never measure up, you won't, you won't, you won't. He says, you're better than that. This is what I've called you. He calls you into your purpose, into who you are. And so this is what we're attempting to do is retrain ourselves so don't, we don't continue on that same cycle of discouragement and dysfunction in our relationships. Yeah, and so really our hope is that throughout this series that you will find the faith to believe that the best days of your marriage are still ahead. Amen. Whether you're recently newly married or you've been married a long time, to believe that God is still working good things in your marriage despite what it might look like right now. If it's not great, that there's more in store um, you know, as we sang a couple minutes ago in the song, it just spoke to me last night as I was rehearsing that line, faith is breaking all impossibility. We know that with God, all things are possible. So we really want you to declare that over your marriage, to hold on to hope, hold on to faith. We hope that this will help spark some hope yeah. in your heart and just spur you on and keep you going. Mm-hmm. So. so as Pastor Joey said, we're going to begin our reading in Song of Solomon chapter 1. Verses 5 through 7, the verses will be on the screen as well behind me. The young woman starts out by saying, I am dark but beautiful, O women of Jerusalem, dark as the tents of Kedar, dark as the curtains of Solomon's tents. Don't stare at me because I'm dark. The sun is dark in my skin. My brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards, so I couldn't care for myself, my own vineyard. Let's pray. God, we just love you. We love to worship your name. We love to praise your name. God, we thank you for being here with us in this moment and every moment. God, we thank you for moving in the gathering when your sons and daughters come together in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your promises, for your word. God, we thank you for the Song of Solomon. We thank you for its wisdom. We thank you for the revelation that it can bring. God, we ask that as we speak today, our words would be your words and not our own. And your Holy Spirit would move and work on each of our hearts. In Jesus' name, we surrender our time to you. Amen. Amen. It's a good pray. It's a good pray. It's a good pray. <laughs> so if you remember what we read last week, she's praising her husband along with all the other young single women. She's celebrating him with others. She's, she's commenting that every guy, sh- every guy, every woman should adore her husband, that he's awesome, he's amazing, he's handsome, he's wonderful, he's perfect in her eyes. And then right here in the next verse, something shifts in her spirit. Something shifts 
in her heart. It's like a stinging in her heart where she can see she starts to criticize her own appearance. Can you see the insecurity rise up in her heart? She's admiring her husband. She's looking around at all these other young women admiring her husband, and all of a sudden she's reminded, wait, I don't look like everybody else. I don't measure up to the cultural standard of beauty. So some of you might be wondering, especially young people in this room today, it was not cool to be tan back in Bible days. So the more pale you were, the fairer skin was considered beautiful. Rich, affluent. Yes. Luxurious. So today, you know, she'd, she'd have it all together. But back then, she was criticized for her appearance. And here she is criticizing her own self. Um, it's almost as if she feels this need all of a sudden to convince these women and her husband that she really is worthy. Don't stare at me because I'm dark. My brothers made me work outside. I couldn't care for myself, right? She's trying to convince everybody I am worthy, that her value is enough, that she's good enough. And if you're a woman in this room, I know you can relate. I know you can relate, right? So she's afraid. And out of that insecurity, let's continue reading verse 7. So she says, don't stare at me, I'm dark, I'm unacceptable in my appearance. She says to her husband, tell me, my love, where are you leading your flocks today? Where will you rest your sheep at noon? For why should I wander like a prostitute among your friends in their flocks? So what she's saying to her husband is, insecurity struck her heart, right? Now she's saying, I don't want to be seen as an immoral woman. I don't want to look desperate looking for my husband, chasing you around. Tell me where you're going to be. Communicate to me. Reassure me. Comfort me because I'm feeling insecure. Although she doesn't say that, we can interpret. She's feeling insecure. Then she asks her husband, where are you going to be? Tell me. Communicate openly with me so that when I come looking, I'll know exactly where you are. Yeah. And then the husband responds. And this is such a beautiful thing. In verse 8, he says, if you don't know, O most beautiful woman, follow the trail of my flock and graze your young goats by the shepherd's tents. You are as exciting, my darling, as a mare among Pharaoh's stallions. Let me just stop right there and tell all the guys in the room, if you're going to compliment your wife, telling her she's like a horse is not a good idea. Babe, you're like a thoroughbred. I, I don't think you're going to win any points. And I think you actually said that to me this morning. Yeah, you're I, like I a did. beautiful horse. I, I had to try it out, see how it works. And then I know firsthand experience, it does not work. Verse 10. How lovely are your cheeks, your earrings set them afire. How lovely is your neck, enhanced by a string of jewels. We will make for you earrings of gold and beads of silver. Notice how he responds to his wife in the way that she's feeling. He doesn't respond by saying, you're always checking up on me. Like, like give me my space, right? Mind your own business. He doesn't say, shut up, leave me alone. I'm a man, I'm a man. And do what I want, I'm a man. You know, I make my own decisions. I, I do what I want. What does he do? Right? He's so intuitive to how his wife is feeling in the moment that he does three things. And if we could capture these three things, this really works for men and women, but especially men, three things you can do when your wife is feeling insecure. Number one is you can compliment her. Don't, don't lead with defensiveness, but compliment her. And through your compliments, comfort her and then communicate lovingly and if you look at how he's talking to her we can see this play out perfectly in verse 8 he says if you don't know meaning if you don't know where i'm going to be if this is on your heart and you don't know let, let me tell you but before he tells her what she's asking he says something right to her heart he says oh most beautiful woman in other words, out of all the beautiful women in the world, you're the best. Notice she's feeling insecure. Don't look at me because I'm dark. I, I don't meet this cultural standard. All these women are praising you, and they're right to do so. And you know right there in that moment, he was all puffed up. Yes, you're right. Superman, da-da-da, they should love me. You know, and... She takes that, and she's stricken in her heart. But what does he do when he notices his wife? I think this is the biggest breakdown, is we don't study our spouses enough to be aware of their emotions when they're having a minute. 
We don't we, we want intimacy. We want to know each other in the biblical sense, right? It says he knew his wife. She knew her husband. But we don't really know each other enough to pay attention to the details that give us those signals of what's really happening in the moment. But he says, oh, most beautiful woman. In other words, you don't need to be afraid of who is into me because I am into you. You're the best. You're the best. You, my love, surpass them all. Matter of fact, you're like a lady horse. And here's what he's getting at. Have you ever seen what happens to a male dog that's unneutered when a female dog comes around? He loses his mind. He can't control himself. It, it, it just it overtakes him. Now imagine all of the king's thoroughbred horses unneutered and a lady horse walks in. So what is he saying? Is he saying, you remind me of a horse? No, he's saying, you excite me so much, I cannot control myself. Not only are you the most beautiful, the most beautiful woman that has ever lived, that I am so excited when I'm around you, everyone else disappears. It, it, they vanquish, they're gone. Now, if the man's chest was puffed out before, you can imagine what's happening in her in that moment. What woman would not want to hear those words from her husband. So what's he doing? He's complimenting her. Almost oh, beautiful woman. He's comforting her by reassuring of his affection and he communicates it in a lovingly way, in a loving way that she can receive to gain her trust. Letting her know there's nothing hidden, there's nothing secret. He's telling her what she needed to hear, not to get her off his back, but to minister to her heart. And this moves the conversation away from a potential conflict and back into lovely banter. You can continue to read and see their, their conversation. We're going to see that in a minute. But I think this is where many relationships break down. The, the husband's having a minute. He's expressing something. But instead of hearing his heart, the wife hears his words, takes it offensively, and vice versa. The woman's having a moment. She's expressing it. The husband doesn't hear her heart. He hears her words and takes it offensively. And when we hear and take things offensively, we respond in defensiveness, and that's where communication breakdown takes place. If he had assumed she wasn't trusting him, he could have easily gotten offended, and that would have redirected the entire conversation. He would be trying to prove himself rather than speaking to her need. And this is like one of the intimacy killers we were talking about last week. This is one of those common intimacy killers that breaks intimacy in a relationship every single day we often fall into it but here he gives us an example on how to nail it and he doesn't just speak to her once he doesn't just compliment her once he he does it again you want you know one of the worst things i've ever heard a guy say to his wife is i already told you i loved you and if i change my mind i will let you know I have heard somebody say this to their wife. In other words, I'm just selfish enough not to care about how you feel and what you need. It's all about me. But he doesn't do that. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, after this conversation, th this reassurance, he says, like a lily among thistles, my darling, is my darling among young women. Like a lily among thistles, like a flower among thorns, is my darling among young women. What's he saying? He's saying, babe, next to you, every woman looks ugly. You are my standard of beauty. You're the one. It's you. Nobody else. You're it. And this warms her heart. And I can see this beautiful moment just being such a blessing to his wife. Right, because honestly, what woman doesn't want to feel like she's the most desirable to her husband? Isn't that the point? We want to feel like our husband thinks, yeah, she may be beautiful, but you're better. You're mine. I pick you. I choose you every time. And so reading this together this week, it just really got to each of our hearts yeah. just how beautiful it is, how beautifully laid out it is. It's, it's what everybody wants right here. So... Solomon, what he's doing, if you're familiar with the concept of the love tank, who's heard of the love tank, like filling your spouse's love tank? 
Okay, so not very many. Um, Gary Chapman in his book, The Five Love Languages, I think he's the one that coined that term, the love tank. Um, he's filling his wife's love tank. Oh, so let me explain the concept. I'm sorry if you're not familiar. It's just the idea that each spouse in a marriage has this invisible love tank that you can fill through meeting their needs in the way that they perceive and receive love. So right now, he's filling to the overflow his wife's love tank with his words, words of affirmation, words of comfort. He's, he's spending time, too, on really communicating with her in a loving, um, clear way. He wasn't offensive. He, he, you're right. He didn't say, you know, why, why would you wander around like a prostitute? He didn't respond in offense to that. He spoke to it lovingly, and that's so awesome. So he's filling her up. But what many times, we, we'll do this in a marriage. I mean, it's easy. We, you're having a good day. You're all lovey-dovey. Oh, you're so close to your spouse, and you guys are just connected, and everyone feels loved and secure. But what happens the next day? Let me just throw out a scenario. You wake up out of bed. You feel close to your spouse. They're going to work, and you don't hear from them till maybe 2 or 3 in the afternoon. No, they're not responding to your text. You try calling them on lunch. They didn't answer. Insecurity creeps back in. You're like, why aren't they responding to me? What's going on? You may have those questions. So this love tank needs to be filled over and over and over. If we're not making regular deposits and really thinking consciously about making regular deposits into our spouse's love tank, Mm -hmm. they're not going to feel loved, no matter if we told them last week or not. So regular deposits into her love tank. So he's built her up. She's not feeling insecure anymore. If she was, that's out the window because he's like, you need to listen to me. You are the best. And then they share in this moment of passion. She responds in Solomon 2, verse 3. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among young, young men. She returns the compliment in her own words. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. And he brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. That's so good. And so, obviously, you can see that the man and wife are now having some serious cuddle time, right? They they exchanged these these loving statements, and it drew them together. It drew them uh, rather than pulling them apart. And she says that she's lovesick. She's weak with love. Like, she's so overwhelmed that, that she's weak in the knees for her husband and needs to be refreshed. I think that is such an amazing description of what love can be, being so overwhelmed, um, the passion she's receiving for from her husband and the passion she has for her husband. But in verse 4, it says something uh, really interesting. It says that he brought her to the banqueting house. This phrase literally means, in the, in the Hebrew language, the house of wine. And no, guys, that doesn't mean he got her drunk so that he could have his way with her, right? This, this is not what he, he's talking about. She's saying that your love for me is intoxicating, that it's so overwhelming. I, like, you, you expressed me in the stall with the thoroughbreds. I'm expressing my love for you the way you make me feel as a house of wine, a place where I go to become intoxicated and overwhelmed. You overwhelm me, and, and I cannot contain myself. And so here she's expressing that, but the key to this passage and, and really the title of this message comes out of the phrase right after this statement where it says that his banner over me is love. You brought me into the house of wine. You brought me to the banqueting house, and your banner over me was love. This term banner is actually a military term. That's what they would fly over the camps uh, whenever they were in a military campaign, not just to tell the soldiers where they needed to be, where their, their company was stationed, but it was also to tell them where safety was when they're in the battle. If they had to retreat, they would look for their flag, their banner, and know this is, this is home base. This is where I go for safety, to retreat. This is where I'm among family or friends or companions. And in this case, what she's saying is the place that I'm retreating to, the place where I feel safe, is this refuge over our life is his love for me. His banner over me is love. So as we were reading this together this week, 
we, we came up with it this way. We want you to think about it this way. And we discussed what our banner would say. But we want you to think. Think about your marriage. Think about your relationship. If you could choose one word to have as a banner over your home, over your marriage, what would that banner say? And this may be something, you know, you're unsure of right now. It might not be something positive in the moment. It might be something negative. But think of that one word. And this may take some time. You might need to ask Holy Spirit at some point. But we want you guys, it's kind of homework this week, to go home and figure out what that one word over your marriage is. So maybe, like I said, maybe right now, um, the banner over your marriage is, is something negative. Maybe it's hurt or frustration or brokenness. Something that's not where you want it to be. But we believe that God not only wants to, he's willing and he's capable to help you raise a new flag mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. your marriage today. Mm-hmm. If your marriage, if your banner doesn't say what you want it to say, we believe that the Lord wants to get you to that point where you can say together mm-hmm. this word over your home. Just like we said in the beginning, our spouse is in process. They're in this process of becoming. Your marriage is in a process. Yeah. It's in a process of becoming too. So what is the word, not where you are, what is the word that the Lord wants to speak over your home? The new flag that God wants to raise up over your home. Something like redemption, destiny, healed, restored, joy, hope. The list could could go on forever. That's so good. You're so smart. The banner over me is love. And this banner provides security. Why does a banner of love provide security? Well, think of God's definition of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It doesn't rejoice in injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. God's love for us provides the greatest security. And this is the kind of love God wants to have over your relationship, the banner he wants over your relationship. Love doesn't quit. But what love does is it, biblically godly love, It provides space for two people in process to find security when we're coming together in that kind of love. We all deal with insecurities. This is a a syndrome that affects both men and women, just uh, maybe in different ways. But security is one of the most important elements in any relationship. Without security, you can't have trust. You can't have confidence, the confidence necessary to get vulnerable, to actually create intimacy in your relationship. And I believe, and we believe, God's desire is for the banner over you, over your relationship, to become that banner of love, his definition of love, that your love is a place of safety. It's a refuge from the worries of the world. It's the place you retreat to, not the place you retreat from. Right, and so as we see, she says, his banner over me, me is love. She's feeling secure. She's feeling loved and safe. And then she switches gears again it's so important that we catch what she says in chapter 2 verse 7 she says i adjure you adjure means to urge earnestly or beg i beg you O daughters of jerusalem by the gazelles or the does of the field i don't know why she's asking by i don't understand that context but that's not important she says i beg you that you do not stir up love until it pleases Don't stir up love until it pleases. So she's in this blissful moment with her husband. They're together. They're loving each other well. She's feeling secure. And then her mind switches to her friends. She says, girls, listen to me. Promise me that if you want to experience what I'm experiencing right now, that if you want what I have, do it the right way way in the right timing don't get involved prematurely in a relationship that's going to leave you broken 
Don't awaken love until the time is right, until God has set that up for you. What does it mean to do it right? It means to do it the way God designed. But what is God's design? In our culture today, it is so muddy and confusing. We have teenagers who are dating in seventh grade, and they can't even go out and provide anything for each other. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying we don't have a clear understanding of what God's way is. And the Bible tells us clearly, God's way, God's time, God's moment for awakening love is marriage. It's marriage. Hebrews 13:4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Marriage should be viewed as sacred to all of us, and yeah. it's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. In the church even today, it's not. It's not sacred. Like God calls it sacred, which means we strive to keep the marriage relationship set apart. Is it, it is its own thing, unlike any other relationship. We do things in marriage we don't do anywhere else. And that's what she's begging her friends. Don't awaken this before it's time. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. Undefiled literally means pure. And what does pure mean? Don't mix it with anything that can contaminate it. Don't mix it with romantic experiences, with tons of um, dating relationships that failed, boyfriend, girlfriend here. And so I just want to take a minute to speak directly to the young women in the room today, to anyone who's single, maybe you're divorced, widowed, I don't know what it is. But I want to say to you today that just as this young woman was saying to her friends, and pleading with them, I want to plead with you today, don't awaken love until the time is right. Even if you've been down that road before, God is a God of redemption. He's a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. He can do something amazing in your life. Do it his way, and what you're going to do, you're going to save yourself the heartache, the pain, the misery, the baggage, the brokenness. He doesn't want to keep you from enjoyable things. And I know we shouldn't have to say that in church with a bunch of Christians who read the Bible. But we do. We need to say it. The Lord is not going to keep you from enjoyable things. He made it. He designed it. Which means if he's the designer, I think of my son, my sons, but I'm thinking of Reese specifically. They love video games. If we had the creator of a video game come to our home and sit down and play a game with Reese, Reese is not going to sit there and tell the creator of the video game all the best ways to play it, all the ins and outs, all the secrets, how it should be played, because he knows he's sitting next to the guy that designed the game. So this guy's going to know everything about it. And it's the same thing with our Lord Jesus Christ with romance and intimacy and marriage. He designed it. So why would we ever think he wants to withhold anything from us? God wants only what is best, only what is best for our lives. And when we do it his way, it's so much easier. There's so much less heartache. Yeah, Yeah, and I I would add that to to all the young men in the room or or the single guys in the room, um, especially for the young guys. Like, dating young is really overrated. I mean, just like you were saying earlier, like, how is is a middle school guy going to take a girl out on a date? Is she going to ride the spokes on the back of his bike, you know? And be like, babe, I got a Slurpee with your name on it because I got $1.25. Right? There's, there's no job. There's, there's nothing that can provide for a family. I, and so we, we sell ourselves, short, like we, we put things in our lives uh, early that, that will create dysfunction. And as parents, we open the door for dysfunction in our kids when we just allow them to, to follow whatever whim that, that is blowing th- at that time. And so, like, for the, for the guys, like, like, I know that at that time of your life, there, there's so much, li- you're like the stallion in the stall. Like, you're like, you're, you're like whoa, 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 you know? Like, you like, you see it. But, but let me tell you, the, the 40% curiosity and the 60% excitement is still not enough to compensate for what happens when you awaken love too soon. It's not enough. And what happens when you're awakening love too soon is you're training yourself to think of women as means to your own s- gratification, and so the reason why we wait until marriage is so that as you grow, you grow learn how to love sacrificially. 
and to take care of your wife, to provide for your wife physically, emotionally, spiritually. If you can't lead yourself spiritually, how are you going to lead your wife? If you can't take care of yourself financially, how are you going to take care of your wife? There's so much going into that. And so the, the mindset we need to retrain ourselves is not the way of the world, but the way the word of God is, is directing us. And there are many things like this that influence us in, in our day and age, and even in the church, that strive to eat away at the blessing that God intends. Like every, everything that comes against your intimacy is something the enemy is trying to use to wreck the blessing that God has for you. In uh, chapter 2, verse 15, the Song of Solomon says this. He says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard, for our vineyards are in blossom. The vineyard is a metaphor for their relationship. So, so what's he saying? He's saying that our vineyards in blossom, they're in bloom, they're fruitful, they're beginning to bud and sprout so many wonderful things. But the foxes, the little foxes, are sneaking in undetected, and they're eating away at the roots, or they're, they're stealing the fruit before it has a chance to ripen. So there are these little foxes in our relationship, in our lives, that are coming against the very blessing that God has for us. And we're going to cover just a few. We, we were talking and came, came up with a list of things that we know that some things we've experienced and some things we know are very common. Some foxes that hopefully will spark some thought in you that you can begin examining your own relationship. Because these are also intimacy killers. And they're not necessarily... Um, communication issues, but they are mindsets and behaviors that, if gone unchecked, will spoil the vineyard. The, the first one is false beliefs about relationships and intimacy. False beliefs about relationships and Kinda intimacy. Kind of like what we just were talking just about. Just what we're talking about. When we're not looking to the Word of God to influence how we should think and believe about certain areas, we allow the world just to, just to train us to think any which way. And some of the ways we've been trained to think about relationships and intimacy, that it's okay to date to date rather than to date to marry. So the purpose of dating, the purpose of looking for a significant other has been completely undercut in our society. And we live in a culture of hookup, shack up, break up. Because we're not dating for its original purpose, which is to find a mate. The other part of relationships and intimacy we really struggle with is the idea of being with one person intimately your entire life is unsatisfying. Many people believe that they should have multiple interactions and multiple experiences or else their life will be dull and boring. Well, I, I'm here to tell you that God's word says the exact opposite. He said, if you want the best you can have, do it my way. In Romans 12, 2, we, we quote this in, in different ways, but Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world but be transformed by renewing your mind, by changing the way you think. Then you'll get to know what is God's will, what's pleasing, good, and perfect. Right, right? So we can't look at the world and say, well, everybody's doing this. It must be okay. We have to look at God's word and say, what's the path to his greatest good? I'm not going to sacrifice okay for best. I'm going to shoot to do it God's way. And the second thing that is really in our culture today that's a huge subject is the subject of pornography. And this one is close to home. It's something I wrestled with and dealt with for many years. But what pornography really is, it's the glorification and worship of sex. It's the perversion of what God created. And what happens when you're engaged in this type of behavior, there's all sorts of scientific studies on this. We're not going to go into that today. But it affects your brain on the physical level. It affects your mind and how you think. It can create a hard heart towards your spouse because of the way it causes you to view your life, and it blocks the full potential for your intimacy, causing greater damage and greater insecurity. Now, on the spiritual side, Matthew chapter 5, 28, Jesus says this about uh, lustful thoughts. He says, I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you look at another person who's not your spouse with sexual intent, You've already committed adultery with that person. You have already broken your marriage vows before the throne of God. Th this is a serious thing. And if you look at the studies, the impact on a woman when she discovers her man has been unfaithful by looking at pornography is the same emotional impact as a physical betrayal. 
And this is a pandemic in our world and in the church, worse than COVID. It's worse because it's socially acceptable. Sex has become a god in our culture. Paul and, and Timothy said in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And we see this in our culture today. In 2 Kings 17, 15, this is an important thing as we're looking at what this kind of uh, a, idolatry and making something into a God that's not God and, and sex being one of those things. In 2 Kings, it says, they despised his statutes, God's statutes, and God's covenant that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them. They went after false idols, and they became what? They became false. So they pursued a false god, and they themselves became false. There's a corrupting effect that, that making a god out of something that is not god happens in your life. And, and you can see this, that we become the very things we are beholding. What we obsess with, what we go after, what we worship, we become like those things. And here they were going after false gods. They became false. And pornography gives you a false view of intimacy. It's fantasy. It's not real life. So what happens a lot is, is you engage in that behavior. It makes you think this is the way things should. You go to engage in, in reality, and you're unsatisfied with it because it's not meeting your expectations. You begin to pressure and put things on your spouse that, that causes shame and brokenness in their life rather than building them up, encouraging them, and self-sacrificing It definitely breeds life. insecurity. Breeds insecurity. We're about. You know, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, you're the most beautiful how can you say that when you're choosing to look at other people? When you're involving them into your sphere? You, you can't do that. You can't do that with honesty or sincerity. And so, again, this is not real life. It's a distortion. It will distort your view of intimacy. It will corrupt your intimacy that you share with your spouse. Psalm 101 verse 3, a, a verse that became one of my life verses when God delivered me from this struggle in my life, it says, I will refuse. Somebody say refuse. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. This is a heart of a holy man. This is the heart of a holy woman. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar, and I hate all who deal crookedly. If you did any research on the pornography industry, you would understand it's one of the most crooked and corrupt businesses on the planet human trafficking abuse of minors drugs the whole nine is involved in this industry and it's a billion dollar industry it makes more money than all the national sports combined every year it's huge i will have nothing to do with them what you worship is what you become it will have an effect on your life second corinthians 3:18 is the flip side if we really want to change who we are and become more like god it says and we all with an unveiled face beholding the glory of the lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is spirit just as we become like what we behold in false gods false idolatry things that are opposite to what god wants when we fix our gaze on jesus and we put him first and we're pursuing him we become more and more like him. And that's the goal. So we need to be transformed in the renewing of our mind and how we view these issues, put away what is filthy, what is idolatrous, what the world is saying is okay. Look to the word of God, begin to retrain how we think, and we'll become more like the very thing that we want all along. We'll be like our dear Savior. And this goes into number three, and I'm going to have you weigh on this one, babe, comparisons. Yeah, and I just want to touch on the the porn issue, the reason that we um, listed that as a little fox, yeah. I mean, to us, it's, it's not a little fox. It's a big deal. Yeah. But the reason we labeled it a little fox that could creep in is because many times when people are engaged in viewing pornography, they view it as harmless. Mm -hmm. I'm not hurting anybody because I'm just doing it by myself. It's not going to yeah. hurt our intimacy. But the enemy is sneaky. He's stealthy. So he uses pornography to cause much greater damage. And it's not just the, the bad stuff. It's in, ev there's, it's in everything. Oh my goodness, there's yeah. Sex is selling every ad advertisement. It's in every show from young kids to, you know, mm -hmm. you, you can't depict the, a cute girl without sexualizing her in some way. 
And in all the big blockbuster action films, all the male superheroes are suited up fully from head to toe, but the women have to be showing off their body parts. There's, there's sexuality in, view in, in all parts of our culture, and, and that begins a trail down a, a darker and darker path the more you get into yeah. it. So number three we have as a little fox that can creep in is comparison. If you remember when we first started reading, her trigger was comparing herself to the cultural standard of beauty. So this either comes in through ourselves comparing with other people that we see yeah. or even other couples. I want a marriage like theirs or you don't act like the husband down the street or you're not like that wife who keeps her house clean and makes dinner every night. So we compare ourselves or our spouse is comparing um, us to other people. We look at this Pinterest view of other people's lives and we need to squash comparison in our marriages. Comparison is destructive and deadly. It's a little thing that'll creep in and it will eat up all of your intimacy. If you're comparing your spouse right now, stop it. Your spouse is your standard of beauty. Your spouse is who God gave you. There's no one else. If you're comparing yourself to other people, stop it because chances are the Pinterest version of their life is not true. No, no, chances aren't. The Pinterest version that you see of their life is not true. 100% is not true. So um, number four, we have, oh, they're already up there. Yeah. guys are ahead of me. An unhealthy culture. This kind of goes into what we talked about last week. Um, and, you know, we really establish these unhealthy cultures a lot of times without even realizing it yeah. until we're trained on how to really right. know what a healthy culture is. Yeah. Um, in some homes, there's a lack of honor for women. There's chauvinism. And a man, you know, belittles his, his wife. Your wife doesn't exist to be quiet and make you a sandwich when you're hungry. <laughs> right. Right, that's chauvinism. In other homes, feminism, lack of honor for men. All men are dogs. You know, they're, they're dirty, they're gross. I mean, we, we, we say these things. Um, there's those um, five deadly intimacy killers in communication will create an unhealthy culture. In the way that you fight, how do you communicate when you fight? Is it healthy or does it turn ugly real quick? That's going to be a little fox that's going to cause some damage, and you're going to have to work back and restore and rebuild. One thing I heard one time in a, a woman's devotional, it's not that profound, but I think it resonates with a lot of our hearts. You are not better than your spouse. Yeah. If you have so much, and it really goes into number five, resentment or contempt built up in your spouse, you start, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you start believing in your heart that you're above your spouse, you're better you're not better than your spouse. So if you have any of those um, emotions, feelings going on today, I would urge you to take that before Jesus, get it worked out. Number five, resentment and unforgiveness. When you feel like you're better than your spouse because of this unhealthy culture, you move into resentment and unforgiveness. And one thing that we learned a couple years ago is really making sure that you are regularly confessing forgiveness yeah. for one another to God personally, and then with each other. I forgive you for this. Will you forgive me? So that there is actual restoration from the argument, from the blow-up that just happened last night. Because if you don't repair it, everyone who's married in this room knows. If you don't repair that fight from the day before, chances are you're going to get it into another one tonight that has nothing to do with it, but you're still both hurt because nothing has been reconciled, brought yeah. back together. Uh, Ephesians 4, 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Yeah, and, uh, and I would say with the unforgiveness, too, if, yeah. you, if you're not a forgiving person, you don't offer that forgiveness, then you keep the spouse continually in your debt. Mm. And they mm -hmm. never feel like they can ever arise over that. Yeah. And it's, it creates a negative, toxic, unhealthy culture. And so, for one, we forgive because Jesus has forgiven us of everything. There's nothing he's withheld forgiveness from. And so we're called to forgive like him. But two, forgiveness allows us to pick our spouse back up after they've fallen. It allows us to be part of the healing process. And, and so that's, uh, by and large, uh, a big reason for that. You want to take the next two? Yeah. Uh, number six, sneakiness and dishonesty. Um, this, one, this one's huge for me because... Um, one of the things I've struggled with is keeping my word, like saying I'm going to do something or be somewhere and then changing plans or failing to do it. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll wake you up in the morning. 
and then uh, I forget to wake her up in the morning. I you do know, not trust him to wake me up you know, in so the morning. There, there have been many, many times where I've said, yes, I will fill in the blank, and when it came down to it, I didn't fill in the blank. And so what am I doing? I'm essentially lying with my life. I'm not being honest. I'm not having good character and holding to my word. And so it creates a, an atmosphere of distrust. And, and so that, that dishonesty is not just lying out directly, but it's giving a false impression of your character, false impression of who you are. Uh, sneakiness as well. There are many times where I've been uh, on uh, like a, a crash diet or trying to get healthy, and, and I'll be like, yeah, I need you to help keep me accountable. And she's like, okay, I'll help keep you accountable, but I really want her to keep me accountable. No. So, so whenever she was around, I'd do good. Whenever she wasn't around, I wouldn't do so good, you know. You know, find find the extra, find the sugary substance somewhere in in the uh, in the pantry. But uh, but that also creates disunity. It it breaks it breaks trust with your spouse. Well, and I want to yeah, keep sneakiness, keeping portions of your life from your spouse. Yeah. If you're gonna you know I've said before in our marriage, if you're gonna lie about little things, what's to keep you from lying about big things? Right. If you're not gonna be honest in the small things, how am I supposed to trust you're gonna be honest in the bigger things. And so, you know, when we're sneaky, we we are not vulnerable. Yeah. There's a lack of vulnerability, there's a lack of openness, which is intimacy. So it's not gonna yeah. happen. And I would and I would even say this goes back to like the pornography issue. You can't view that healthily in a relationship at all, but you can't do it without being sneaky and without being dishonest. And for many guys it starts off as just your Facebook friends list. I mean, we, we know that we're visual nature, and whenever those pictures come in online, it, it, it can spark some type of feeling. And there are some guys, like you can often, just by looking at a friends list on a Facebook page, you, you can kind of tell something about a person. You can, can tell what kind of character they have. There's no reason a middle-aged man married to a wife should have 3,000 friends and half of the women on there are scantily clad. It just shouldn't happen, right? If, you, if you're you've got the character and forthrightness, you're not going to accept those friends. And if you see them, you're going to tell your wife, and together you're going to delete those friends, right? Because there's nothing between you. There, there's nothing there. And so uh, anytime we have that little side area that we keep from our spouse, that's just a prime ground for a fox to come in and steal the fruit that God wants to bring into your relationship. And, and so if the goal is transparency, being naked without shame, then honesty has to be at the forefront, even in the stuff you're struggling with. That's one of the biggest things, I, hurdles I had to overcome is being able to humble myself enough to say, I, I messed up today, I, I struggled today, and to be able to ask forgiveness because I want to be viewed as an, a godly man and a character man so much, sometimes it's hard to humble yourself and do that. But when you do, you bring yourself together because your wife becomes part of the healing process. Your spouse becomes part of the healing process rather than the other way around. And then uh, Psalm 101 verse 2 says, I'll be careful to live a blameless life. When will you come to help me? I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. And this is r really where integrity begins. It begins at home before being out in the public square. Um, the last one here is disunity. And there are many areas of disunity that we struggle with in marriage. Um, some are financial issues. One of the top reasons why people divorce is financial issues, money issues. And I, I would say that if you're married, you're living one life, you're living for oneness, you don't have separate bank accounts, you don't have separate uh, money, you have one account, you have one money, you're doing it together. And you decide who's better with money and you let them be in charge and the other one submits to their recommendation, their authority. There's ways to do it that, that brings it together. So often, especially I think it's a struggle with those who've been through divorce, it's kind of like a, a self-protection mechanism. If I, I don't want to go through that pain again, but just in case we have problems, I'm going to keep all my money to myself so that I'm not afraid of, of having a struggle later in life. And that's, an, that's a unifying breaker. That's not bringing you together. That's keeping a point of division in your relationship. So the goal is oneness coming together. Uh, you don't have two sets of friends. You don't have um, two, set, two different vacation spots. You have one set of friends one vacation spot. Everything is oneness. Um, common beliefs. Uh, where are you politically? Where are you religiously? Th there are things that, that we don't necessarily talk about before we get in the relationship and then we find out, oh wait, I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you thought that. Y you know, and you would be surprised at some of those conversations that, that we've had. 
um, points of view on important issues, like where do you stand on X, Y, Z? There, there are things that are important to discuss and talk about so that you're moving together in the same direction and you're kind of rooting out those things that can divide you. Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the same direction? And the answer is no. If you're going to head in the same direction, you have to be in agreement. You have to walk together. And that's the goal of oneness in unity, is to get you heading in the same direction. And sometimes in a marriage, these things take many conversations where you're sharing your heart, your spouse is sharing their heart. Sometimes you might need to bring in a mediator. You yeah. might need to go to counseling about an issue because you just can't see eye to eye, and there's no shame in that. There's nothing to be ashamed of that's actually a healthy thing yeah. is to bring someone else in to find common ground. And obviously, if there is an area in your marriage you're dealing with disunity, bathe it in prayer yeah. so that both of your hearts will be softened so you can come to some understanding together. Yeah, and so we would ask, as part of the homework that we assigned before, that you would pray and ask the Lord, what foxes are lurking in your relationship? Where are the little foxes in your vineyard? And then some at some point today, if you're married, talk with your spouse. If you're or not this week. Or this Maybe week. Maybe not today. Yeah, um, or if you're not Give married, talk with your significant other about what might be in the process of spoiling your vineyard. What's in the way? What do we need to get worked out? Wha yep. What are the unspokens in our relationship that we've been avoiding just because we are afraid of the conflict? And begin to process through those. And if you're, if you're a guy here specifically and you're struggling with pornography, please come and talk to me. It is my heart to see you find freedom in that and have a healthy relationship with your spouse. So if there's if you're struggling with that, if that's something you're like, man, I've tried to put it away, but I keep picking it back up. I get it. I've been there. I've been down that road, and I believe that I have some resources and things that could help you, and and be a point of accountability for you, so that that you can begin walking. Or even in a holy way. Uh, some of our our teen boys. I yeah. mean, I don't know who's. I'm not talking about who's present here or who's not today. But if there are any young men under marriage yeah. age in high school or middle school, and this is something that you're struggling with yeah. there is no shame in confessing that to someone and yeah. getting it out of your life yeah. now than to carry it for many years unspoken and that's we want to help yeah. we want to not me but he yeah. does he wants to be there for and, that, and that's been my experience the longer you keep things hidden the more power it has over you but the word says if you walk in the light the darkness won't overtake you so let's bring it out into the light let's bring in freedom let's bring jesus in the mix and uh, let's see you uh, become healthy we're going to transition to our question and answer time as we answer text message questions from the audience. And we received one last week. We'll go ahead and put the, the number on the screen. And, uh, and so if you, have, if you have a question, uh, you can text in. It's completely anonymous. And uh, we want to be able to make this as real as possible with what you're struggling with. And so the, the question that we received this week, kind of referring to the illustration you gave last week about building the wall, it was a wall has been built between my spouse and I. I feel that every time I work at taking a brick down from the wall, my spouse adds one on. What advice can you give me? So can you kind of explain what that illustration was, kind of so we get reference for that, and then maybe weigh into what? Sure. So the wall was um, a wall that we build with defense, a defense wall. So we're guarded. We're not connecting. We are on two separate sides of the wall, and the adding the brick is essentially when we speak in an unhealthy way, when our, our communication isn't healthy, when we are um, reading our spouse's minds or emotions, we're criticizing them, putting them down, name-calling. It's a number of things, not just what I listed on the list last week. So there's a been a wall of defensiveness. Um, the spouse is, is saying that's been built. And every time they're ready to take a brick down, they feel like their spouse is adding one on. What advice can you give me? I would say, first of all, that's a really, really hard place to be in. Yeah. Um, it can be lonely to feel like you're the only one that's trying in the marriage and that your spouse isn't really on your team, that they're kind of over there, you know, just worried about defending themselves. Um, but I would also speak to, you know, the spouse that is seemingly adding a brick. What they are feeling right now, they're feeling insecure, right? This whole thing has been about security. They're feeling too insecure right now probably to try to take the bricks down. They're scared that if they do, 
they're going to open themselves up to more hurt, more problems, more pain, and they're just really guarded right now. And that might not even be because of your marriage. It might be because of things that have happened outside of your marriage. If they've been through something traumatic or abusive, whatever you name it, something that's really hurt them, they might just have a hard time trusting at this phase. If it's within your marriage, if you've had a chaotic past where there's been a lot of unhealthy things, maybe betrayal and lots of hurts, you might be ready. Like, you're ready to go. I want to take this breakdown. I want to do the work. Mm. They might need some more time, really. And so my advice, honestly, um, there is a scenario in the Naked Marriage book that Ashley and Dave Willis set up. There are spouses in three different scenarios in every marriage. There's the spouse that sits on the love seat next to each other. Um, They do things together. They pray together. They serve together. They're on the same team, and they know it. There's the second scenario is the spouse is in the same room, but they're in two separate chairs, which is that disunity that we were talking about. They do everything separately, separate friends, separate finances. They feel like they're better off alone because they can take care of themselves. And then there's the third scenario, which would really, I think, describe what's happening here is one spouse is ready to sit on the love seat, but the other spouse is still over in the recliner, turned away, back to the are facing the wall, not ready to work on it. So if you're in that scenario, this is what describes you. I would say keep faith, keep hoping, don't give up, keep working on taking that wall down because if your spouse loves you and wants the marriage, eventually they will, their hearts will be softened enough when they feel like you're trustworthy enough, they're going to start taking little bricks off as well. And it might not be in big ways at first. It might not be super noticeable, but you will see small little gestures. They will come along to the scripture. I want to just speak over that is Galatians 6, 9. I want to say this to you and over your marriage. Don't get tired of doing what is good because at just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Amen. God will bring that harvest of blessing. Just like we were declaring earlier, your promises never fail. I'm going to see it. You're going to see it. You're going to see the breakthrough. The other thing I would say, don't get focused on how tired you are. Don't say things like, I'm so sick and tired of always having to be the one. I'm so exhausted at this cycle that never ends. If you're speaking that, there's no way you're going to be able to hold on to hope. There's no way you're going to keep faith because it's going to be snatched away from you just like that. And that's exactly the way the enemy wants you to think. So as much as you can, fix your thoughts on the good. Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts on the lovely things about your spouse. Fix your thoughts on what is admirable about them. Keep your thoughts there. What is the good in your relationship? What do you enjoy together? It might not be perfect and no marriage is, but fix your thoughts on what is good in the waiting in the waiting, but the breakthrough will come, the blessing will come yeah. if you don't give up. And, it, and I would just add in, in, in Romans chapter 5, 2 through 5, it says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so the, the goal, obviously, in, in our relationship is not for our spouse to arrive to our level. It's for us both to arrive to Jesus' level. And so your relationship and the circumstance you're in may feel like suffering. It can. You can feel like, I am a suffering. This is terrible. But what it's saying, if you stay in it and you keep faith in the Lord, that suffering is going to do something in you. And so you're, you're not just praying that your spouse would turn around. You're also submitting to the Lord so Jesus can break through in you what he wants to break through in you. And often it's through our suffering that we're refined into who God wants us to be. And so what we just want to encourage you, don't lose heart in the difficult seasons. Know that God is at work in you and in your spouse, that, that he has a plan for you. Um, we want you to be encouraged that it's not always going to be like this, that there we have promises from God that if we, we're, we're holding fast that we're going to see breakthrough, we're going to see blessings come. So the homework is, what is the word on your banner? What is the banner flying over your marriage? And if it's not positive right now, prophetically, 
through asking the Spirit, what is the word God wants it to be? Yeah. And then two, what are the little foxes that have gone undetected that are spoiling your vineyard? What's in there? And start bringing God in in those places to help root that out so that you can be as fruitful and as, as blessed as God can bring about in your life. So um, we're going to transition to a time of prayer. And we want to open the opportunity. If, if you're here and you're with your spouse or maybe you're, you're alone, but you would, you would love some prayer over your relationship in your marriage, my wife and I are going to be down front for just a few moments to, to pray with you when the, as the music begins to play. And uh, then we'll be dismissed here shortly. Um, again, right after church, we're going to have a baptism meeting. So if you're getting baptized, please meet me down here. But um, let's bow our heads for prayer. And then uh, we're going to spend a few moments um, giving opportunity for people to come forward for prayer. And then uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord God, we just thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for just the example that you have set before us in the Song of Solomon. God, we thank you that there is hope for our marriages. I thank you, God, that we're all in process, that none of us have arrived, and so we can not only receive grace from you for what we're doing, but we can then extend that grace to our spouse in the circumstances that we're enduring right now. God, I thank you for every miracle and every breakthrough that you're sending that's on its way. I thank you for everything you've already done. I thank you for what you've done in our marriage and how you've turned the corner in our relationship. You're teaching us to be better friends, better lovers, better uh, better teammates. And God, I thank you what you're doing in our church and what you're accomplishing and just the, the blessings we're going to get to enjoy together in just a little while when we celebrate new life and new marriage. So God, we pray for our families today. God, we pray for those that are hurting, that are struggling. And God, I pray that your spirit would begin now doing its healing work. In Jesus' name we pray. church we want to say thank you for listening if this ministry has blessed you in any way please consider making a tax deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and god bless